title for this morning's message came right from the text, When You Come Together. I will say a few more words about that as time goes on this morning. Normally, we are in an exposition of John chapter 8, for those of you that are here on a regular basis. But today, as we have gathered as believers, we gather to observe the communion. We are gathered to observe the Lord's table. We are gathered to observe the Lord's supper. And so we will concentrate on that. Communion generally is recognized and has been recognized in church history as an ordinance that has been given to the church. That is, by way of explanation, that which is expected to be done and to be continued to be done throughout the church age. Starting with the Lord Jesus Christ while he was here, as he instituted it, and continuing on until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. It is for the church age. Further, I want you to understand very clearly, it should be obvious from the text, particularly as we look at verse 32, and talking about even though the discipline was going on in the context, they would not be judged with the world or condemned with the world. Communion is it is not based upon age. It is not based upon age whatsoever. Nor is it for everybody. It is for those who have come to Christ. Male or female. Its frequency is not mentioned as is indicated in verse 26. It says, as often as ye eat this bread and drink the cup, there was no mandate in Scripture as to the frequency of it, though people still argue about that. Neither neither are there any specifics given or timing and manner in which communion is to be conducted. partake of the bread and wine of the next person, or whether it's to be done collectively altogether. It really is not mandated in that way. Yet, there are examples and patterns that are given to us in Scripture, certainly by the Lord Jesus Christ when he instituted it, and throughout the early church as it was observed and throughout the epistles, as it is instructed in texts such as we have here, there are guidelines. 
laying that as a really basic foundation, we need to understand that traditionally, Fellowship Bible Church, which is our concern this morning, has traditionally observed it once a month. That is not mandated in Scripture anywhere, as I've just said. That is what we have traditionally done. We traditionally observe it on the first Sunday of the month, though we've had some, very few, but some exceptions to that. We have instituted it as part of the service normally, in which the whole service is not centered on it, but it becomes an aspect, and usually I continue to exegete and ex expound a particular passage of Scripture that we've been studying. We traditionally partake together, and I believe that's a great... very clear from verses 24 and 26, if you look at it, 24 and 25, I'm sorry, do this in remembrance of me. So we just read that again, right? Verse 25, drink it in remembrance of me. It is to be a reminder, the purpose of communion, the purpose of this service is to remind us of something. Why? Lest we forget now, I'm sure in this room we would think we will never forget. Yes, we will and would every day as we go about our business. again. It is until he comes. Are in Christ what we are supposed to be doing because of who we belong to, including how we are to live. It's all involved in that. And I believe because of that, and as a reminder of what he's done, and the fact that he's coming back, it is to also 
point out our need for spiritual revival, as indicated in this section, as a problem in the Corinthian church. We need to have the coals stirred on a regular basis so that our love for Christ and our life is what it should be. Now and then, we at Fellowship Bible Church have made it a purpose to dedicate a communion service to the entire service once in a while. Today is one of those days. Today, our music, as Chris and I have talked, as already you've seen, has been centered on the cross of Calvary. The message that I will be preaching this morning and our text that I usually read every month is centered on communion. In our text, we will look at three particular things, as you can see from your outline, that as we partake of communion, there was to be a realization that was to go on. What was going on in their lives? What was going on in that church? They needed to be reminded of it. They also needed to realize what it was because they didn't. They needed to be reminded of who Christ is and what he had done and who they were in relationship to it. And then they had to do a rectifying in their lives. There had to be a spiritual revival that had to take place. And after we look at that, we will then partake of the elements this morning. So it will come at the end of the service. Let's look at the realization first. Verses 17 to 22. And I want you to notice that. I've read it. Look at it. Let me start by saying this. They did not recognize who they, believers, professing believers, who they, the Corinthian church, did not recognize what was going on in their lives. They should have. You would think that they would have. Paul, in this epistle, has been addressing questions that the Corinthian church has raised. In addition to that, he has been addressing problems that have been going on in the local church. Problems that have been going on in individual professing up the believer's lives to the things of God? But he had to. And we find that. And I'd like you to notice something I think is very...
God created. Contrast to houses, their own individual houses. Verse 34, come together. And again, for the second time in the passage, he contrasts that with them being at home. are just small little groups in places. The local church was designed tendency not to be concerned about how I could affect the body of Christ by my not coming together. We think of ourselves as individual members and we just wander off and then think, well, it's just my life. that time the Lord's table. This should have been a time of tremendous celebration. It should have been a time where believers got together and there was absolute unity. There was absolute Rather than being a testimony in the Corinthian church, we find out from the text very clearly in verse 17 that what they were doing, now listen, what they were doing, gathering together to observe the Lord's table, was a mockery. It was a mockery to those that could observe it. They were no different in reality to what you find out in Matthew 23 with the Pharisees. The Lord is rebuking them over and over and over again, said, you hypocrites. the text. You can look at it. They didn't realize this was going on. They should have realized it. But you'll notice in the text, why was it going on? Verse 18, there were divisions among them. There were fractions. There was fighting, inward fighting among them while observing the Lord's table. This is not my opinion. It's right there. Verse 18. There was social favoritism going on. You can see that. There were people that were hungry that weren't getting enough food. 
there were other people that were involved in eating too much. There was a definite social structure that was there where some were thinking, them as a, thinking themselves on a higher level. Within the church of Jesus Christ, yes. While they were celebrating the Lord's table, absolutely. There was more concern for self-satisfaction than there was for the entire body of Christ. There was sin in the camp. You say, what are you talking about? Look at it clearly. Some of them were drunk, verse 21. Now, I've never observed in my personal life at a communion service anyone being drunk that I know of. Possible people have been sitting there and drunk, and I didn't know it. We'd do it privately if it was going on. There was gluttony going on when you look at the text. Absolute abuse of the body of Christ, while at the same time partaking of the elements and praising God, supposedly. And Paul had to rebuke them and charge them. While they were meeting, notice this, together. And by the way, it's not numbers. There can be, and I don't want you to get me wrong, there can be small groups. I'm not against that. But what I'm saying is wherever the, God, the Lord's allowed, in this particular case, it's Fellowship Bible Church in Methuen. And we come together as a local church. There's a place for that. When they were meeting in the name of God, all this stuff was going on in their lives. And they were praising God, right. You know what the reality was according to the text? It was formality. It was nothing more than ritual. And that can happen. What can happen is we can, oh yeah, it's the first of the month, it's time to have communion. All kinds of things are going on in our life. All kinds of divisions are going on among people. And I'm not saying there is, by the way. It's just a cause to make us think. It, it, it can be all kinds of things going on. We're just going to church and so forth and so on. And there's no substance behind it whatsoever. That's what they had. Observing communion, yes, they were. But it was nothing more than ceremonialism. Today, there's much criticism that is going on about the local church. I'm getting tired of hearing it, honestly, as a pastor. I'm so tired of formal religion that I don't go to church anymore. That is not biblical thinking. Yes, there is too much formalism sometimes. But to use that as an excuse not to be gathering together is sin. There's sadly today even the change because people are so concerned with formalism and gathering together in church services that there's a change to adapt the meeting together to give the people what they want rather than what they need. And it's happening throughout the church of Jesus Christ. The gathering together is being changed to accommodate what people want. I wonder, as a pastor, I wonder as an individual in my own life, how much is done in the name of Jesus Christ in our personal lives? How much is done as we gather collectively together, not just Fellowship Bible Church, but evangelical professing Christendom, that really does draw people to God?
that really and truly is honoring him. That is really not anything more than just ritualism in our life. Superficial Christianity is done simply in order to make us feel good. How much of the Church of Jesus Christ today is operating out of convenience. Convenience for our personal schedules. Convenience for appearance to others is operated out of what is culturally correct. Let me ask you something. Did Jesus Christ and the apostles miss the boat? Did our forefathers in the early church who met, by the way, on Sunday all day long miss the boat? And they're just not aware of the culture today or how busy our lives are? Did they miss it? And we know better? They didn't realize. Corinthian church didn't realize they were coming together to honor God and their lives and the divisions were horrible. What about us? Are we so busy that we don't have time for God because we're busy with our jobs? And by the way, so you don't think I, I, I'm just off on this tangent. I'm not. This is the text. It called them to realize. There are some who have legitimate jobs and have to work on Sundays. It's a reality. I'm not talking about that. And we are busy. But is it true that what about us? Are we busy with our job, school, family, hobbies, maintaining homes, cars, our health, and everything else? And we're so busy that we have no time to meet together? All when we meet together is our time spent in the auditorium, out in the parking lot, in the church pew, debating, arguing, criticizing. And then we walk in and praise God with our lips, study the word of God as though nothing's going on, observe the communion table. Are any of us playing church? As you know, my background is Roman Catholicism. Are we looking at it as the mass? I got to get there, 10.30 to 11.30. I did my obligation. I'm on my way. See you later. I'll see you in three months. See you next week. Are we playing church? Are we so busy that you get a church that can't get people to serve because they're never around? Say, so I came to church to be encouraged. Lord willing, the Lord's working to encourage your heart. Who do we belong to? What does this represent? Do I come to get everything that I can out of everything? And Pastor Dan, just using our own assembly, had better have a good message today because I need to be fed and that's it? 
should be coming to church to give. Should be coming to church to participate one with another, especially with God. I want you to notice something frightening. In verse 19, before he gets to explaining the Lord's Supper, he says here, you know what? First of all, you think you're coming together. I'll go back to 17 for the better. You're not. You're coming together to make a mockery. You're coming together would be better if you didn't because you're making a mockery of Christianity. But he says, I want you to know something else. You know, there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. So, And they must come. Do you know why? Look at verse 19 closely. It says, because it has to expose non-believers. You say, that isn't what my Bible says. Oh, yes, it is. Look. In order that those who are approved may become evident among you. It will become evident of those who really belong to Christ and those who have Christ first in their life when you're coming together. It'll become evident. It will become obvious. Just to themselves? No. To those around them? No. Even to the outside. It becomes evident when you come together. It would have been better off for them to stay home in verse 22 than to come into the church and have shame with the way that they were conducting themselves and not dealing with it. I say all of that because that's in the text. And the challenge is, might God help me, Pastor Dan? Might God help you? Might he help us, Fellowship Bible Church? Let's not worry about the other churches in, the, in this sense or what else is going on in Christianity. Might he just help us to examine, do I know who I belong to really? Am I playing church? Am I just coming to the Lord's table and doing it ritually? Might we examine ourselves? Are we truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Are we doing it in substance with our whole heart and our mind? Or are we already into the afternoon's activity and tonight's game? We should be right here with our hearts committed to God and be so thankful if we're a Christian for what he's done. Be thankful for who we belong to. That's when he comes in after exposing that and he reminds them in verses 23 to 30. I'll hit it quick. The cost of our salvation was great. You notice what it says right away? And I'm not even expounding this in full detail, but look at verse 23 at the end. The night in which he was betrayed. Our Savior was betrayed by those he trusted in. Judas Iscariot kissed him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The cost of our salvation was great. Jesus Christ came because God loved us and sent his son. And while we were going astray, 1 Peter, he bore the penalty of our sins on the cross of Calvary. Who do we belong to? Pastor Chris quoted it. It was the verse for the week this, this week in the school. We have been bought. We are not our own. We should see the importance of coming together. Now, if you know me and you know the elders of this church, we're not keeping track of whether you're here at the morning service, evening service, 
in, in, in Sunday school and whether you're here at prayer meeting and, and all that stuff, of course you can, it's obvious to what goes on and so forth. There's no attendance and that isn't what makes you right with God. But the church of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, I've visited churches, not just in this country, abroad. I've talked to pastors. I see it happening. There is a tendency uh, today when I come, like the mass, I go on Sunday morning, if I go, and that's it. And then I read my word, in, the word individually. We have been designed by God to be a body. A body that comes together. It's a privilege. And I think our forefathers had it right. No wonder our children don't want to come to church. They say it's because of the programs that aren't in the church. They say because there's not enough emphasis on teens or young people. No, it's not. Though we have many weaknesses and can improve. It's because as parents, we are not setting the pattern. I know. I even get criticized personally because of involvement in sports and my interest in that and so forth and my competitiveness. But I can stand before God and before you as a congregation and tell you this, with raising five children who were very active in many things, I never let it take the place. They would even miss a game and they would be in here in church. Not because it was a mandate whereby they would be checked off if they didn't, because I wanted to set a pattern where they say, saw a priority for the things of God, a priority for the body of Christ. And I love vacations, and I love hobbies, and I'm not saying that we can't have that. But where is our priority with God, honestly? He's coming back, verse 26. And when we partake of communion, are you ready? Am I ready to face him? You say, yeah, I'm saved. Praise the Lord for that. But we still have to give an account of what we've done. And don't come to Sunday evening service just for that. Churches across the country are eliminating evening service and Wednesday night, and then they're doing it in their own little way with four or five collective groups. There's a place for that, but there is a place to come together. And I want you to see very seriously, and I have to get to the communion part of it. In verse 27, he's talking to believers that would be partaking in an unworthy manner. The context explains it, whether you know what the Greek word is or you know the whole context. They were making a mockery of it. They came together, they worshiped together, they partook of communion together, and their lives were anything but together. They were individually doing what they wanted to do. And he says they are guilty. In what way? Condemned to hell? No, he tells you that unless they get exposed as not being a true believer, according to verse 19 and verse 32, it may be that some are just making a profession and going along. The guiltiness there was guilty of dishonoring Jesus Christ, of making a mockery of all the communion was supposed to be while partaking of it, their actions and their lives. And you know the problem. I have to really summarize it. To rectify the situation in verses 31 to 34, they were getting chastened according to verse 30. Some of them were sick because of it. Some of them were dead because of it. 
And his bottom line is examine yourselves. Communion ought to be a good time for us to examine ourselves. Where are we? And in verse 33, they would have put others before themselves. Look at it. Wait for the other one first. They were to come together, verse 34. If you're hungry, stay at home and eat. So that when you come together, you don't come together for judgment. See, he still wanted them to come together. We know, Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, I may be wrong and I may be out in left field. And God judge me if I am. But as I look at Christianity, I think it's not the same way as Hebrews. Forsaking the assembly, assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some. I think I can put in the word today in this century as the manner of most of. What do we do? Browbeat ourselves? Beat ourselves up? Not pay attention to our homes? Not pay attention to our jobs? Not at all. Live for Christ here. Not have hobbies, not take vacations, not do whatever. No, you can do those things. But let God examine our lives. Are we coming together worshiping Sunday after Sunday and have divisions among us? Are we bickering one with another? Are we forsaking and only treating it as church formality when I can do it? Am I not looking at the fact of how I could be hurting the body by not exercising my gifts? And then what? Let's go in the last two verses, then we'll have communion. Psalm 51. Look at what David did. Psalm 51. Let me just narrow it down. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Gladness. Let my bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my transgressions. And then verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. And if it's needed, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Help me to realize, let me put it to you this way, who I belong to. Do not cast me away from thy presence. God won't do that. God won't take his Holy Spirit. That's Old Testament. But look at verse 12. Restore in me the joy of thy salvation. As we're about to partake of communion, we'll go a couple of minutes over. Might God restore to us the joy of salvation. Sustain within us a willing spirit. Turn with me to one last thing. Psalm 19, one verse I'll look at. Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is noted for rejoicing in Creation and rejoicing in the word of God. But look at the very last verse of Psalm 19. With the words of my mouth, it doesn't stop there. And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I don't know where each one of us are today. But as we come to communion, sacrifice was tremendous. We've been bought. Our lives are not our own. Yeah, we don't want to be involved in formality. And I think sometimes the church is too much. But we also want to be willing to examine ourselves. And might God change our hearts so that as we partake right now, we really remember who it is that died for us, what he's done, and who we are. Let's partake of communion, then I'll close us in prayer. The elders will come forward.
If you are not born again, we ask you to refrain from the elements. And if you are, I hope you've been examining yourself already. But my God, help us to examine our hearts as we partake of communion. The format for the last part of the service is that we are going to give out the elements, and then while they're being given out, we're going to have a song before we do partake of the bread, and then we're going to give out the elements and have another song appropriately. Both songs have been picked purposely to help us examine ourselves, and then we'll partake of the grape juice, and then I'll come up and close this in prayer. God supplies strength alone he will provide Christ in us our cornerstone he will go forth in grace Bye.
Praise the Lord, which God supplies. Strength alone, he will provide. Christ in us, our cornerstone, we will go forth in grace Ah. Uh-huh. 
I just want to read one verse. You could have quoted it, but I wanted to make sure. Let us never forget the cost of our salvation. Let us rejoice in it. Let us live for him. Let us live by his power. And as we just sang the power of the cross, might we remember this verse in Romans chapter 1, 
in verse 16. Speaking of the gospel, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Might we not only appreciate and reflect on the love of Christ for us, but might we boldly proclaim the gospel that others might come to him. Greek this in remembrance of him. Let us have our closing prayer. And then I think what we're going to do is allow the ushers. We do have a special fellowship offering that's taken up. Maybe you can play through the power of the cross without us singing it one verse. You can just stand and meditate, allow them. This offering is used to help those that are out of work and have special financial needs. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you for the songs we've been able to sing today. Father, we thank you that while we were not even lovable, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Father, it's very easy to get involved in the emotions even of the moment and the songs and the word, but I pray that every single believer in this room might be challenged to examine our hearts, examine our lives, that might we be grateful and thankful for the cost of our salvation and the one that we belong to. Might we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Might we live for him. Might we see the importance of the body of Christ. Might we individually and we as a church collectively stand as a shining light for the testimony and name of Jesus Christ. And might many through our individual lives and through this work come to know Christ as their Savior. Might the gospel go forth in power from us. Might our lives be a living testimony read of all men. And we pray, Father, and ask that from us you would even send many forth until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. That, Father, the Lord Jesus Christ would draw people to serve the capacity of missionaries, pastors, teachers that boldly proclaim the cross of Christ. We pray you'd bless these gifts and help us to encourage those who are in financial need. And Father, might we leave here today changed in a way that's pleasing in your sight and in a way in which our lives reflect the love that you've had for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.